The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Now, over the years, we've talked a lot about the exchanged life, the spirit-led life. Uh, we've talked about the surrendered life, and, and particularly as you move into a new year, you talk about starting a year surrendered and committed to the Lord. But over the last month and a half or two months, I've been thinking a lot about what does that really look like? What does it look like to walk with God? And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at biblical characters who will give us a very clear example of just what that means and what it looks like. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at Joseph, the life of Joseph, a man in whom there was no sin mentioned about. His story begins in Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers, he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilphah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Well, little did he know that bad report would begin some 16 years plus of one trial after another. If ever there was a man for all generations, it was Joseph, the favored son of the patriarch Jacob, whose story begins in the 37th chapter of Genesis. He's raised as the future heir of the wealthy patriarch. He falls into slavery in a far-off Gentile land and later rises to prominence as number two in command behind only Pharaoh. He was loved and he was hated, favored and abused, tempted and trusted exalted and abased. Yet at no point in his 110 years of life do we sense any loss of faith or trust in his God. Adversity did not harden his character. Prosperity did not ruin him. He was the same in private as he was publicly. He was truly a great man of God. And this is why Genesis spends more time on Joseph than any other patriarch. In fact, chapters 37 to 50 are devoted to Joseph, 25% more than Abraham. One striking fact about Joseph is that with all the information denoted to him, there is never anything bad mentioned. In fact, in all the Bible, there are only two characters that no sin is mentioned about, and that's Joseph and Daniel. This is a remarkable situation. Now, Joseph for sure had a sin nature like all of us do, but we're never told of any outward expression of it. So one thing I want us to understand by way of introduction uh, today as we move forward is that Joseph was a type of Christ. Abraham is a type of God the Father who offered up his only begotten son. Isaac typified the passive obedience of the son himself 
when he willingly allowed himself to be laid on the altar. And Joseph exemplifies the life and ministry of Christ in so many points. One commentator, John Peter Lang, lists these parallels between Joseph and Christ. He says, the, the jealousy of the hate, hatred of Joseph's brothers, the fact of his being sold, the turning of his brother's wicked plot to the salvation of many, even themselves, and the house of Jacob, the victory of pardoning love, and Jacob's joyful reviving on the hearing of the life and glory of his favored son, whom he had believed to be dead. And then the fact that both Joseph and Jesus were sold for 20 pieces of silver. Through this, he becomes their Lord, their Savior, the Savior of strangers, and the Savior of the world at that time. But understand this. For Joseph and Christ, none of this would have happened but for the plot to destroy them, their being sold, and the rejection of them. In prison, Joseph, innocent between two criminals, the butler and the baker. Jesus on the cross between two thieves. Joseph prophesies the salvation of one and the death of the other when, to all appearances, they're just the same. Joseph asks the man who will be saved to remember him when he gets his station in life back. And then, of course, the man Jesus saves on the cross asks him to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. For all these similarities with Christ, the one factor that is so important to you and I is that he is a very clear model for Christians. He is an encouragement. And since his steadfast trust in God and persistence in right eventually led to his triumph and vindication, Joseph's triumph was a triumph of faith. Now, it's interesting that in Genesis, there are eight main characters that illustrate the functioning of faith in the Christian life. For example, Adam, the first who believed God and was justified by grace through that belief, illustrates the nature of faith. He believed God's word about saving work of the coming Messiah, Genesis 3, verses 15 and 20. Abel, who offered God a better sacrifice than his brother Cain, Hebrews 11.4, illustrates the basis of faith. He believed that God would save his people through the death and shed blood of a redeemer who was yet to come. Enoch, a preacher of righteousness, illustrates the walk of faith. He walked closely with God in an age when almost no one else did, Genesis 5. Noah, the builder of the ark, which eight people were saved from the great flood, illustrates the perseverance of faith. He kept on the task of building the ark for 120 years while enduring ridicule, scorn, and laughter, Hebrews 11:7. Abraham, probably the greatest of all models, illustrates the obedience of faith. He obeyed God even to the point of sacrificing his own son, Genesis 22. Isaac, turning from his own desires to accept the overpowering will of God, illustrates the power of faith. He trembled violently, but he was converted by what God was doing in his life, Genesis 27. And then Jacob, who went his own way for so many years, illustrates the discipline of faith. 
God stayed with him during those years and eventually brought him to the point of personal surrender, Genesis 32. And then, of course, Joseph, who rose from slavery to a position of power, illustrates the triumph of faith. He never wavered until his early dreams were fulfilled and his purpose was realized, Genesis 41. So you see, the greatest single characteristic of Joseph was his absolute faithfulness to God in any and every situation. And it is through that that God worked to exalt him so highly. And this is probably the single most important characteristic that any Christian can have, absolute faithfulness to God. What else should a child of God want? Shouldn't this be the desire of our heart, the desire of every born-again believer to want to be absolutely faithful to God? Joseph was far from home. He had little chance of seeing his family again. The pleasures of family was gone. He had every opportunity to sow his wild oats, but he never did. He knew that he was God's child and that his responsibility was to live for and be faithful to God, regardless of whatever life should bring to him. Joseph never compromised. Now you're probably thinking right about now, come on, that's impossible. Who can possibly live that focused? Who can possibly have God's will so much at the center of their life that they can just hang strong through all the storms of life? As a result, Joseph never lost his standing with God. And throughout his life, God continued to reveal his path through dreams and God continued to guide him no less than when he was in Potiphar's prison than when he was at the side of the monarch's throne. God was always the chief and determining reality in Joseph's life. And that's exactly what God wants to be to you and I today. Now, how? How? Could Joseph be that way? Well, fortunately, we have the answer. And the answer is this. At a young age, he was given a dream. Not just a dream of what he wanted. He was given a dream by God. And Joseph believed the words of God. And Joseph focused his life on what was coming. Because he knew there was a future for him. God had told him and he believed God at his word. And so whenever the trials and the storms of life came, he was able to stay purposefully strong, knowing that there was a future ahead of this. Now, God does not deal today in communicating with us in visions and dreams. He doesn't have to because he's given us this. And you see, Every situation you will ever come in contact with in life is here. The purpose of any, every one of your lives is here. You, you mean that what God wants me to do in life a year from now is in here? That's exactly what I mean. And what is even more to that 
is that God has given us his Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. And so he takes the word of God and he magnifies it in your heart and he directs you in the path he wants you to go. And your word is right here. And this is how God operates today. And so you and I can very definitely know the will of God for our life. You and I can very definitely know what his word says and have a focused goal to hang our future on that will get every one of us through every circumstance of life, no matter what it is. And what a triumphant perspective that gives us. You know, David also had the same thing. In David's youth, the Philistines were ravaging the countryside and their military hero, the giant Goliath, was defying the armies of the living God. And David went to them and he said, why doesn't somebody do something about this? Why doesn't somebody go take him out? I'm paraphrasing. And they said to him, have you seen this guy? His sword is bigger than you. And even Saul said to him, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy and he has been a fighting man from his youth. 1 Samuel 17, 33. But David had an anointing. David had experience and David took the word of God to heart. And so he responded in 1 Samuel 17, beginning of verse 33. Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took, the lamb, or took a lamb out of the, from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be just like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. This is what Joseph had. This is how Joseph thought. God was at the center of his thinking and because he was a great God, he was able to triumph through any and every circumstance in life. And this is not just a story. This is a reality for anyone who walks with God. It's just as true for you and I today as it was for Joseph and it was for David. And that's the important thing that Joseph's story translates to us. For the, for the example of this dreamer who became a doer, we may learn how to overcome envy, resist illicit sexual advances, plan for the future, forgive those who wronged us, dispel doubts about forgiveness, have faith in God's promises, and recognize the sovereignty of God even in the wrong done to us by others. And since Joseph is never reported as having done anything wrong, and since he triumphed abundantly in these and many other adverse circumstances, he is an outstanding example for you and I 
of the godly life, of the surrendered life. And he is second only to Jesus Christ in that example. So here's where we're going to be going over the next several weeks. We're going to be seeing that God's plans never fail. They never fail. And there's another thing we're going to see about the story of Joseph that I want to highlight in this introduction this morning. Joseph's story is a great example, perhaps the chief example in the Bible of the benevolent providence of God, the doctrine that Paul spells out so clearly in Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Not some things, not one thing in 10, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So, so wait a minute. Are you telling me that this guy who's rejected by his siblings, the ones he loved and should have loved him, and is thrown in a pit and left for dead, are you telling me that works for good? And they have a change of mind and they take him out of the pit and they sell him to a caravan that takes him to a far off land. Are you telling me that works for good? And then in this foreign land, he's sold to a, a, a master as a common slave. And you're telling me that works for good? He's lonely. He misses his parents, his home. He misses his station in life, which made him the wealthy heir of his father's wealth. But he decides to put that all aside. And he's going to focus and be the absolute best servant he can be. And he is so successful at it that this master says, everything that I have is under your control. Only, have it, only to have it go up in smoke because of a sleazy wife who falsely accused him in rape and had him thrown in prison. And you're trying to tell me that works for good? He's forgotten in prison. He's there for a while. And finally, the butler and baker get thrown in prison. And they've got dreams they can't interpret. God gives Joseph the ability to interpret them. And so he interprets both their dreams. For one of them, sorry, your head's coming off. But for the other one, you're not only going to be spared, but you're going to get your station back in Pharaoh's inner circle. But when you get there, remember me. I shouldn't be here. I was falsely accused. And after all, I'm the one who interpreted your dreams. Only to be forgotten for two more years. And you're telling me that works for good? What are you dealing with today? What have you brought in here this morning? What is it 
that's changing the course of your life and you feel out of control. Listen, one day, Joseph's a prisoner. The next day, he's prime minister of the greatest nation on the face of the earth. Here is proof positive, irrefutable proof of Romans 8, 28. And the remarkable thing about God's providence in the story of Joseph's life is that God used such little things as links in the chain of circumstances by which he was to exalt Joseph to the position of prime minister and use him to save millions of people from starvation during a seven-year famine. But why is the story in the Bible? I mean, what purpose does it really have for me? I'm not going to be a prime minister. I'm not going to save millions of people from starvation. No. But God's principles never, never, never fail. And his principles never, never, never change. God recorded this story so you and I could learn to trust him just like Joseph did. And in fact, who is it that all things work together for? It's for those who are called according to his purpose. And if you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ as your personal savior and you are hid in him, you are called according to his purpose. You are part of his calling. You have been set apart for a life of faith in Christ. But notice what it says. Those are called according to his purpose. You see, you and I were created for him. Sin separated us from that. But when he made a way of escape by sending his son to die on the cross and to give us pardon by accepting his death as payment for our sins, we are now planted into the ones called according to his purpose. And this is one reason, folks, why I get so frustrated with this prosperity gospel that's all over America today. It's not about you. It's about him. And sometimes that pathway is going to lead you and I through difficult times. But I've never yet seen anyone who trusted Christ in difficult times and not come out victorious. Because it's his life, not yours and mine. These circumstances were as significant as the wonderful coat that led his brother to him. Or the dreams of Joseph that intensified the hatred of his brothers. They were as wonderful as being sold to Potiphar, the captain of the guard. Or his being imprisoned with a butler and the baker. And that fateful time, two years later, when Pharaoh had a dream and he couldn't make any sense of it, his advisors couldn't make any sense of it, his religious advisors didn't have a clue, and the, the butler says, I got a guy. Two years ago, when I was in prison, I had this dream. I didn't know what to do with it. This guy told me exactly what happened in detail. Pharaoh, you may want to Get a hold of this guy. All in God's perfect timing. When these things are happening, 
we seldom realize how important they are. But look back, we can see that God was at work, even at the time we didn't really know it. You and I must never chafe against the circumstances God brings to us. We call them mere circumstances, and we treat them lightly. And if they're uncomfortable, we'll do anything we can to get away from them, even if it makes, means making the wrong choices. But they are not mere circumstances. They are God's weaving the tapestry of our lives. The important thing for every believer is to be living in the light of God's presence, knowing that his or her life is being guided specifically by the Spirit, even though we don't really understand it. If God is working all things after the counsel of his will, and if he's working out all things for good, what we consider bad is really significant and good in God's eyes. You see, Joseph humanly suffered through a lot of things. But every step of the way, every trial was specifically ordered to make Joseph into the man who was fit to be prime minister. Short-circuiting any of those steps may have led to failure. Joseph had a dream. And he was so focused on that dream, that word of God, that it allowed him to cross any river, endure any valley, climb any mountain, no matter what the trial was, because he knew the outcome was God's. And what I want you and I to glean from this study over the next few weeks is that our outcome is God's. Our goals and plans are God's. The paths that we take and the situations that come into our lives are God's. You may think you're the one controlling it. You may even make mistakes. But when you trust Christ and allow the spirit to fill you, he turns all of those into the things that work for our good. You may look at your life and see only dark threads and wonder how God can possibly use them to produce a thing of beauty. And all I would tell you is, look at the life of Joseph. And that is precisely why Joseph is in the Bible. That's why God recorded this man's life for you and I today. And what the Spirit is telling us very directly is, if you'll get in the Word of God and allow the Spirit to lead you, you will find your purpose. Not because I'm telling you, but because he promised it. God does not allow his people to run blindly on, on the earth. He saves us. He gives us his word. He gives us the indwelling Holy Spirit because he wants us to arrive in glory in a perfect, spotless way. In summary, what you will learn in this series is how to trust God in any and every situation. You will learn that no matter what is happening in your life, God is at work to shape you into the image of his dear son so he might present you to the Father, a spotless child of God. Are you ready 
to accept this life. I'm going to be honest with you. Over the next several weeks, many of you may be faced with some tough decisions. But I can assure you beyond the shadow of any doubt that God is working in you to make you into the image of his son. You are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. All that the Father has given him, he's given to us. We are royal priesthood. Isn't it time that we start living that way? Isn't it time that we start living a surrendered life so he can guide us every step of the way? No matter how deep your valley is this morning, if you'll surrender to him, he will make that the valley a mountaintop, but his way and for his glory. And that's where you and I need to surrender. And I hope these next weeks you will challenge yourself to, to dig in, find God's leading, and be all that he wants you to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for this life of Joseph. And as today we've just scratched the surface by introduction, I pray, Lord, that you would work in the hearts of every one of us, that we would be so willing to give up, to understand what it means to just surrender and to experience this spirit-filled, spirit-led life. What you want to do in us is only for our good. Our human sinfulness looks at all these things as bad, but that's not what it's about. You're working all things for our good and not just for our good, but so that we might bring glory to you and accomplish your purpose in our lives. I pray this morning, Lord, that all of us as we leave this morning would leave energized and excited and ready to walk with you. And all God's people said, amen. God bless.